Welcome to the Dexcom third quarter 2023 earnings release conference call. My name is Mondeep and I will be your operator for today's call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. During the question and answer session, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. As a reminder, the conference is being recorded. I will now turn the call over to Sean Christensen, Vice President of Finance and Investor Relations. Mr. Christensen, you may begin. Thank you, Operator, and welcome to Dexcom's third quarter 2023 earnings call. Our agenda begins with Kevin Sayer, Dexcom's Chairman, President, and CEO, who will summarize our recent highlights and ongoing strategic initiatives, followed by a financial review and outlook from Jeremy Sylvain, our Chief Financial Officer. Following our prepared remarks, we will open the call up for your questions. At that time, we ask analysts to limit themselves to one question so we can provide an opportunity for everyone participating today. Please note that there are also slides available related to our third quarter performance on the Dexcom Investor Relations website on the events and presentations page. With that, let's review our safe harbor statement. Some of the statements we will make in today's call may constitute forward-looking statements. These statements reflect management's intentions, beliefs, and expectations about future events, strategies, competition, products, operating plans, and performance. All forward-looking statements included in this presentation are made as of the date hereof based on information currently available to Dexcom, are subject to various risks and uncertainties, and actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in the forward-looking statements. The factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by any of these forward-looking statements are detailed in Dexcom's annual report on Form 10-K, most recent quarterly report on Form 10-Q, and other filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Except as required by law, we assume no obligation to update any such forward-looking statements after the date of this presentation or to conform these forward-looking statements to actual results. Additionally, during the call, we will discuss certain financial measures that have not been prepared in accordance with GAAP with respect to our non-GAAP and cash-based results. Unless otherwise noted, all references to financial metrics are presented on a non-GAAP basis. The presentation of this additional information should not be considered in isolation or as a substitute for results or superior to results prepared in accordance with GAAP. Please refer to the tables in our earnings release and the slides accompanying our third quarter earnings presentation for a reconciliation of these measures to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measure. Now I will turn it over to Kevin. Thank you, Sean, and thank you everyone for joining us. Today we reported another great quarter for Dexcom with third quarter organic revenue growth of 26% compared to the third quarter of 2022. This year is proving to be one of the most exciting periods in our company's history. Access is expanding faster than ever before, and we are seeing new levels of enthusiasm for our differentiated products. This can be seen firsthand in our broader rollout of G7 in the U.S. Building upon our legacy of being the most accurate sensor, G7's focus on simplicity and affordability continues to attract new customers and prescribers to our platform. Similar to last quarter, the majority of G7 customers continue to be new to Dexcom, and we took yet another step forward in expanding our prescribing base. There are now nearly 18,000 physicians writing scripts for Dexcom that were not prescribing our products before the G7 launch. 
This represents a notable increase in our prescribing community in only a short period of time, as more clinicians recognize G7's unique feature set, ease of use, and market-leading levels of coverage. This combination has made it incredibly easy for physicians to prescribe Dexcom CGM and drive greater levels of engagement within their patient populations. Additionally, our new G7 software platform is enhancing our value proposition across all patient types. We've implemented new software updates almost monthly since launch with improvements to features like connectivity and alarm personalization. As one example, we have established new lines of communication in our app to simplify the process of engaging with our customers. We are constantly working behind the scenes to improve the customer experience, and we will continue to operate with this type of focus to ensure that we have the most user-friendly and engaging products on the market. Our customers know that when you join the Dexcom ecosystem, you get all of the benefits today and tomorrow associated with our leading innovation. Our latest product cycle has also coincided with the largest expansion of coverage in our company's history. With significant reimbursement now established beyond intensive insulin use, there are more people with covered access to Dexcom CGM than ever before. As a reminder, Medicare coverage went live in mid-April for people with type 2 diabetes, using basal insulin only as well as certain non-insulin individuals that experience hypoglycemia. Collectively, these two populations represent nearly 7 million people in the U.S., with approximately half being of Medicare age. Encouragingly, commercial coverage continues to build for this group. We've established market-leading levels of basal-only reimbursement, as payers clearly recognize the potential for better outcomes driven by Dexcom. This further supports our industry-low, out-of-pocket cost for our customers. With a full quarter of broad coverage now under our belt, we continue to be very encouraged by early prescribing trends for this cohort. We noted last quarter that we experienced an immediate uptick in new patient starts once coverage went live, and we have seen a clear continuation of this trend since that time. In fact, we delivered another record Medicare new patient start quarter in Q3 as physicians have quickly adjusted their prescribing patterns to match the new reimbursement landscape. While early, basal adoption trends look very similar to those we previously experienced once broad coverage became available for intensively managed type 2 diabetes. We view this as a very positive sign of things to come. Importantly, when you combine this broader coverage with our leading sensor technology, we feel incredibly confident in our market position. Since the launch of G7, we have gained share across all reimbursed channels and patient segments in the U.S., and that trend continued this quarter. Even among non-reimbursed channels, we are seeing more and more interest in Dexcom CGM. We are also seeing similar dynamics across our international footprint. We have never been better positioned to compete globally from a product, access, or capacity perspective, and we once again took international share this quarter as a result. Our product portfolio continues to be a key contributor to this success. By having multiple products available, we can tailor our offerings to meet the unique needs of individual geographies and reimbursement structures. A great example of this was seen in France this past quarter, where Dexcom 1 secured reimbursement for all people on intensive insulin therapy, which represents around half a million people, and we have submitted our evidence to extend that coverage to the basal population. In addition to advancing our product offerings, we've been continuously working to build greater commercial scale and flexibility to serve each market more effectively. As we discussed at our investor day, one way to drive scale is through the conversion of key international markets from distributor to direct operations. 
Historically, these conversions have been followed by a notable uptick in performance as we provide greater levels of support and focus to these markets once we oversee all facets of sales and distribution. Along those lines, we recently made the strategic decision to go direct in Japan. As a reminder, Japan became one of the first countries to establish broad reimbursement for anyone taking insulin late last year, representing more than 1 million lives. Despite this, the market remains in its very early stages, and we will continue to work to drive much greater CGM adoption over time as we initiate direct sales in the second quarter of next year. Finally, at EASD this month, we added to our substantial base of distinctive clinical evidence with new data around long-term Dexcom CGM outcomes and adherence, the impact of Dexcom 1 for type 2 diabetes, and performance within the pregnancy setting. Study after study, we continue to demonstrate Dexcom's position as a cornerstone within the evolving diabetes care and metabolic health landscape. Across a wide range of customers and care settings, our product plays a unique role in providing real-time information that can drive behavior change, greater patient accountability, and more informed therapy decisions. Like everyone else, we have also been interested to see the latest data behind new drug therapies. We believe these drugs play an important role in the care continuum, and it is encouraging to see new solutions emerging and a growing appreciation around the need for better and earlier care. Data continues to demonstrate that clinicians prefer to use CGM together with these drugs to drive the best possible outcomes. In fact, we shared claims data this quarter that showed prescribing trends for CGM increase once someone has initiated GLP-1 therapy, as clinicians favor Dexcom for both its protective features and ability to support lifestyle management. As an update, we looked at trailing 12-month data through August 2023, which suggests this dynamic is even more pronounced among the newest generation of these drugs. The data clearly show that CGM usage grows faster in GLP-1 users than those who are not on therapy. This further demonstrates the complementary nature of Dexcom CGM across all therapy regimes in diabetes. As we look forward, we continue to ensure that we advance our unique role within the ecosystem of care as we progress our mission of empowering people to take control of health. This will include launching new products, such as our non-insulin product coming next summer, as well as advancing our ongoing clinical work across much broader populations. We are still very early in our story in terms of potential impact and the number of lives we can ultimately touch. Our future is incredibly bright. With that, I will turn it over to Jeremy for a review of the third quarter financials. Jeremy? Thank you, Kevin. As a reminder, unless otherwise noted, the financial metrics presented today will be discussed on a non-GAAP basis. Reconciliations to GAAP can be found in today's earnings release as well as on our IR website. For the third quarter of 2023, we reported worldwide revenue of $975 million, compared to $770 million for the third quarter of 2022, representing growth of 27% on a reported basis and 26% on an organic basis. As a reminder, our definition of organic revenue excludes currency in addition to non-CGM revenue acquired or divested in the trailing 12 months. U.S. revenue totaled $714 million for the third quarter, compared to $573 million in the third quarter of 2022, representing growth of 24%. Between the ongoing success of our G7 launch and significant expansion of coverage for Dexcom this year, our U.S. business is really hitting its stride. This is particularly noticeable when looking at our new customer start trends, which again outpaced our expectations for this quarter. This dynamic has now played out for several quarters in a row, and we are seeing the direct result of that continued momentum. 
In the third quarter, we saw revenue growth accelerate compared to last quarter, and we delivered our fastest quarterly growth rate in over two years. International revenue grew 33%, totaling $261 million in the third quarter. International organic revenue growth was 30% for the third quarter. We continue to execute incredibly well in our international markets. Our product portfolio strategy, ongoing access work, and growing commercial traction helped us again gain share this quarter. We had a particularly strong quarter across our European footprint, as we saw growth remain similar to the accelerated level we saw in the second quarter. An item of note is we did have slower growth coming from our non-CGM business, as well as relatively flat performance in Japan, as we worked with our distributor partner to start the process of transitioning to direct sales. As a reminder, when we made our distributor acquisition in 2021, we also inherited a business that distributed products outside of the diabetes space. We recently made the decision to spin off this unit to focus entirely on our CGM and diabetes technologies in this region, which we think will enhance our execution in the market. We expect the deal to close in early 2024, and we want to thank our employees for their continued strong work through the transition in the space. Our third quarter gross profit was $630 million, or 64.7% of revenue compared to 64.2% of revenue in the third quarter of 2022. We are very proud of our gross margin performance in the quarter. This is another testament to the top-tier work our operations team continues to deliver this year. Despite managing through a new product launch, we have improved yields on both the G6 and G7 platforms. In addition, Q3 gross margins benefited from a stronger-than-expected mix of G6 customers as our pump users eagerly await G7 AID integration. When this transition starts in the coming weeks, we expect an acceleration in our base shift to G7. While G7 currently has a higher unit cost profile than G6 and will over the near term, we expect this to become our highest margin product as we drive greater volumes and economies of scale over the course of 2024 and beyond. Operating expenses were $392 million for Q3 of 2023, compared to $333 million in Q3 of 2022. Our focus on cost management again stood out this quarter as we delivered over 300 basis points of operating expense leverage. This now marks the seventh straight quarter that we have generated at least 250 basis points of year-over-year -year operating expense leverage. We will continue to invest in the growth of the business while finding ways to be even more efficient. Operating income was $238.9 million, or 24.5% of revenue in the third quarter of 2023 compared to $160.8 million, or 20.9% of revenue in the same quarter of 2022. This margin represents a new quarterly record for Dexcom. Adjusted EBITDA was $314.5 million, or 32.3% of revenue for the third quarter, compared to $226.6 million, or 29.4% of revenue for the third quarter of 2022. This margin also represents a new quarterly record for Dexcom. Net income in the third quarter was $203 million, or $0.50 cents per share. We remain in a very strong financial position as we close out the quarter with greater than $3.2 billion of cash and cash equivalents. Our ability to generate consistent and growing free cash flow is becoming more apparent every quarter, and we delivered the highest free cash flow quarter in our company's history in Q3. This provides us a lot of flexibility to be thoughtful and opportunistic in our capital allocation decisions. Along those lines, we are excited to announce a $500 million share repurchase program today. Given our very strong underlying fundamentals and outlook, we see this as a great time to step into the market and buy back our stock. This program also provides the added benefit of more than offsetting any remaining dilution related to our 2023 convertible notes. 
as the remainder of these are reaching maturity in the coming weeks. Turning to guidance, we are raising our full year 2023 revenue guidance to a range of 3.575 to 3.6 billion, representing growth of 23 to 24% for the year. Our updated revenue guidance reflects an increase of over 60 million at the midpoint compared to our previous guidance. It is more than 165 million higher than where we guided to start the year. From a margin perspective, we are raising our full year non-GAAP gross margin guidance to approximately 64%. We are also increasing our non-GAAP operating and adjusted EBITDA margin guidance for the year to approximately 19 and 28% respectively. With that, I will pass it back to Kevin. Thanks, Jeremy. I would now like to open up the call for Q&A. We also have Jake Leach, our Chief Operating Officer, and Terry Lauber, our Chief Commercial Officer, joining us for our question and answer session. Sean? Thank you, Kevin. As a reminder, we ask our audience to limit themselves to only one question at this time and then re-enter the queue if necessary. Operator, please provide the Q&A instructions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone. If you wish to be removed from the queue, please press star 1. If you are using the speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. We will take our first question from Robbie Marcus with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Oh, great. Uh, thanks for taking the question, and congrats on an absolutely fantastic quarter. There is uh, a lot to talk about here, but uh, just keeping it to one question, what really showed just so much upside was the U.S. number this quarter, along with the profitability. So question really is, uh, one, how much of that do we ascribe to the new basal indication with growth from both Medicare and commercial patients? And we started to see this um, in France and, and Japan, and I hear that a lot of European countries might, over the course of 24, start covering for basal. So the question is really, how much is, is basal contributing today? And, you know, how big can it be over the coming years if all of Europe uh, starts to bring on enhanced reimbursement, something that would have been unimaginable just 12 months ago. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks, Robbie. This is Jeremy. I appreciate the comments. You know, I can take that one and, um, you know, um, you know, we address it from there. You know, in terms of what the contribution was this quarter from Basil, you know, obviously we had a, a really strong quarter this quarter, um, record new patients once again, um, and obviously raised the guide on the year. Now, some of that does come from Basil. There's, there's no question there. As we continue to open up reimbursement, um, the new patients are coming along, and, you know, Kevin mentioned it. We're starting to see basal follow similar patterns to type 2 intensive, which, you know, when you, when you think about coming into this year, you know, it's about 40 to 45% adoption, but really the curve is starting to follow that. So we're very excited about the opportunity there. Um, and so that's in the U.S., and certainly, clearly, that's playing out here. Um, in terms of OUS, you know, it's a great opportunity. You know, one of the things we've seen outside the U.S. is as access is created, create significant opportunities for growth, and you've seen our actions over the course of the past few years. We've created a lot of access for our products, and in turn, our international markets have grown incredibly well. 
And there's a large population outside the U.S. that, that this would ultimately apply it to once you have basal coverage. So um, it could be an absolute, uh, an absolute tailwind for us for years and years to come. It's something obviously we're very excited about. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, right? We have to get that coverage in place. Um, but the bullishness you hear about the U.S. experience is, is what we would expect to see as more and more coverage comes. And so we leave very excited about what the future holds. Thanks a lot. Our next question comes from Margaret Kaiser Andrew with William Blair. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, you know, obviously a lot to talk in the quarter, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will get to that. But, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask here, uh, was any dialogue you may be having with clinical societies around where CGM fits within the treatment paradigm, um, specifically focused on, on non-insulin users? And I ask because, you know, obviously there could be a change in guidelines with GLPs right now. And so can you use some of those discussions to pull forward CGM use as well? And Again, if it's not now, when, or, or does it even matter? Thanks. You know, Margaret, this is Kevin. I'll take that. Uh, we, we have had discussions with the societies on expanding coverage for people with type 2 diabetes, not on insulin. And those discussions continue. We've seen a gradual uptick, for lack of a better word, in the guidelines of CGM use from all professional societies over the last several years. And as we gather more data, as we see more data come in from studies we're aware of over the next 12 months, we believe we can continue to build a better case. Every time we run a study or look at a study from this population, this group, people on CGM do better. It's just simple. They have better outcomes. They're more adherent to their meds. They have a feedback loop that they don't have any other way. We're very excited about this opportunity. That's why we're going with the, uh, you know, the product where we've talked about filing before the end of this year and launching next year, our product that's designed for people not on insulin. Uh, and we think it's going to be a great product offering on this front going forward. So we're looking forward to it, and I think we'll be able to write this script the same way we've written the script in our industry so far. Our next question comes from Larry Beagleson with Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question and uh, reiterate uh, my congratulations on a really strong quarter here. Um, Jeremy, I wanted to ask about the guidance and, and any, you know, comments on next year. Um, the math, if, if I'm doing it correctly, it implies Q4 growth slows, you know, by about 400 basis points. And, you know, you don't get the same quarter over quarter lift you typically see. Um, and so why is that? And any, you know, any reason why the momentum uh, for sales growth would slow next year um, and any, you know, anything we should think about on the margins such as the, you know, implications from Japan? Thank you. Yeah, so thanks for the question, Larry. So in, in terms of, of where the guide goes, you know, I think uh, you're right. It does imply a tad of a decel. Um, most of that, you know, I would say is is related to really comps historically over time. And Larry, you've tracked us for a while, so you know as we move more out of commercial DME and into pharmacy, um, typically we have an up, uptick into Q4 um, in those in those DME environments. As more and more uh, of our of our folks go through the retail channel, you kind of lose some of that. So really, you're playing about it's really about seasonality within the course of a year. So we're not trying to imply anything. Really, what we're trying to say is this is this is the trajectory we see it going with seasonality. 
this is our again our, our base case as we start to look at guidance over the course of the year. And so the, the trends, underlying trends, there's nothing to say there. I mean, the underlying trends in this business remain strong. I don't think we're trying to imply anything other than that. Um, we do expect you kind of reference Japan. There could be around the fringes um, until we go direct, a little bit of a stable as opposed to necessarily a growing story around Japan. Um, and so that is around the fringes. But that represents a really small piece of the business on the international side. Really what you're seeing is just us being mindful about seasonality in our base case. And then certainly if we can outperform, we'll do what we traditionally do, which is try to do so. Thank you. Our next question comes from Daniel Antolfi with UBS. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks so much for, for taking the question. And I will also say congrats on a, on a really great quarter. I was just curious, so Jeremy, you alluded to the fact that basil seems to be starting to ramp similar to how the insulin intensive Type 2 did when you got coverage there. What about from a utilization perspective? Any color you can give on how these basal patients are adopting technology? Is it similar to what you saw in the mobile study? I know it's early, but we should have had some reorders by now. So just curious what you're seeing. Thanks so much. Yeah, really, and appreciate the, the congrats. Thanks. Um, you know, it, it, what we see is, and, and Terry's here, so what I can do is I can give you kind of what we're seeing maybe numbers-wise, but maybe Terry can kind of take you into the day-to-day -day interaction with patients. Numbers-wise, we haven't seen much of a change at this point. The, the, the population does re, has reorders relatively in the same capacity as, as in the past, and so that's a good early indicator. But maybe Terry can take you through what she's hearing and seeing in the field around the excitement around basil and, and who wants to use it. Sure. Thanks, Jeremy, and thanks, Danielle. You know, the trends, as Kevin referenced, that we see in basal in terms of uptake and intention to prescribe from the physicians mirror what we've seen in other segments of the marketplace. And the coverage is certainly a big driver of that. You know, we track coverage very closely for Dexcom for the industry. And in basal, as with the rest of the market, Dexcom continues to be the most covered CGM with the lowest out-of-pocket copay. Uh, we also have the benefit of being out in front of the payers and the healthcare providers with the mobile study, demonstrating the benefit and the outcomes that Dexcom drives for this population. So we see a nice trajectory, I think, in line with what we would expect, and we expect that to continue. Thank you. Our next question comes from Matt Taylor with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking the question and congrats on the, the results. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you, Kevin, you talked a bit more here about the, uh, basically combination therapy or benefit that CGMs see with GLP-1s. And I was wondering if you had thought about, you know, partnering with the pharma companies or maybe running studies to show that over time there is a benefit to using CGMs with the drug, things like that that might give investors even more confidence longer term in the future of CGM in a good world? Well, certainly we think about partnering with the drug companies, but they're doing so well right now. They're uh, they're very busy. Uh, we do have relationships with them and, and have had discussions. With respect to studies, we certainly talk, talk about some of those internally. We saw clinical evidence over at the EASD meeting recently where that was a large topic of discussion that the team brought back, and we're very aware of studies coming out over the first half of 2024 that are going to show some of these data for the use of these combo of uh, these new drugs and CGM in combination and how that works for people. So we know there's evidence coming 
an investigator-initiated studies, and, and we're looking at some of our own right now. I, I think the data will continue to support it. Great. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from Matthew O'Brien with Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Can you maybe, Jeremy, you mentioned this, um, but but you talked about the G7 integration <clears throat> that's upcoming here in the next few weeks. Um, you know, is that is that literally, you know, sometime in November we'll start to see that? And then just talk about what that's going to do in terms of, um, you know, trying to access new patients, but also convert existing G6 users over to G7. Any kind of disruption that that could cause, um, you know, in Q4, then, you know, early next year. Thanks. Yeah, hey, Matt, you know, we have Jake here right now um, who's, you know, intimately familiar with So, let me, Jake, what do you think? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we are very excited about uh, transitioning our um, G6 AID users over to G7 once those pump partners have compatibility. That's coming very rapidly, um, and uh, we really think it's um, uh, going to be important for those users to be able to access the benefits of G7. It's the most accurate sensor, so having that uh, driving those AID systems, we're really looking forward to seeing uh, that out in the marketplace. Um, no real disruption. Um, those users will basically just switch over uh, for tandem. It's a firmware update to the pump, um, and they'll just switch over to G6 or to G7 once um, they get uh, their G6 supplies are utilized and they get the new prescription for G7. So, very much looking forward to that product being in the field. Thank you. Our next question comes from Matthew Blackman with Steeple. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for uh, taking my question. Um, so we, we did a big CGM survey last month, and one of the most interesting takeaways were very positive early expectations for the, the non-insulin opportunity. I think Doc's expecting peak penetration over time to approach the 50-plus the percent range and with a pretty steep adoption curve. So it really does seem somewhat similar to the, the Type 2 intensive rollout. I'm just hoping for any color on, on how that tracks versus your expectations for non-insulin, assuming some reimbursement over time. Just any color there would be helpful. Thanks. You know what? I'll, I'll take that one, and I appreciate uh, the question, and that's long been our view. And, in fact, one of the things I tell the guys here frequently is, while it took us many years to build the intensive insulin market and get uh, this technology adopted rapidly, I don't believe the curve is going to be near that long in this Type 2 world. Once people start using this product and we gear an experience towards what will be meaningful to them because what is meaningful to them is different than what's meaningful to our current patients, again, driven by the performance of our product and they have accurate data, but once we gear an experience that, that enhances their lives with respect to the performance of their medications, perform, what exercise does, what their various nutrition does in their lives, and can add other insights from other sensors, we think we can create a tremendous healthcare experience in this market. And we do think we can ultimately push towards reimbursement and, and possibly even creation of a new product category altogether. Uh, for, for those individuals. We're, we're pretty thrilled about it. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a great, great opportunity. Yeah, and Matt, it, it's our, and, and thank you for that study. Obviously, we saw it as well. Um, you know, in terms, of, in terms of timing, I think one of the things that is our obligation as a management team is just to make sure um, as we start to see it and as we launch products that are geared to this population, we keep you in line with what we see so we can have a, a collective understanding about where that market is going over time. So be, be assured as we start to get more line of sight into it, obviously you can tell we're very bullish on the opportunity. Um, we'll make sure we, we communicate that as quarters proceed. Thank you. Appreciate it, everybody. 
Our next question comes from Joanne Wooch with Citibank. Please go ahead. Um, thank you very much for taking the question, and let me also say quite the quarter. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me this quarter was um, margins and operating margins. Of course, the two are tied, but even your SG&A was well-contained. Does this create a new, um, I don't know, go-forward rate, or how do how do I think about this? Because that's, that's quite nice. Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. I'll, t- I'll take the, uh, the portion on uh, gross margin. Uh, and then uh, Jeremy can talk about operating margin. So on, uh, with gross margin, um, you know, we're really thrilled with the results this quarter. It's really a testament to how well our operations teams are executing across both G6 and G7. Um, you know, our yields on the G7 scale up are a little ahead of where we planned, which is a, a fantastic uh, thing to, to place to be. Um, you know, as we look at the transition from uh, the AID patients from G6 to G7, one of the things that um, is implied in our in our guide there for gross margin for the year and you know into next year as we look um, in the long range, um, we are going to be uh, switching those patients over to G7, which G7 today is at a slightly lower gross margin, um, you know, just based on the where it is in its product life cycle. G6 is a higher margin product today. Um, over time, as we do switch our base all over to G7 and continue to scale that product, we have a, a very good path to getting to lower costs than G6 on that over time. But what we're trying to do be, be on that, guys, transparent around the, the margin, gross margin for the product, um, just as we do that transition. Yeah, and then to your question on operating margin and how our spend profile lays out, you know, it's certainly a great quarter, and I think we're really happy with it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we raised our full-year guidance to 19% on the op margin perspective, and that's on the back of some of the work we're doing around it. Uh, Investor Day, we talked about a cost-to-execute initiative, and a lot of that was around driving profitability. So I think you can expect us to continue to look at driving operating margin over time. There will be ebbs and flows as we invest in the business for growth, and so I, I, I think it's, it's, it's reasonable to expect, re, you know, ebbs and flows, but I'll kind of rewind back to where we started the year, right? Around J.P. Morgan, we issued guidance of around 16.5% operating margin, and now we're talking about exiting the year at 19%. And that's just all around the work of just being highly efficient around how we deliver service, how we deliver support, how we look to acquire customers, all of the things that we try to do. You can tell we are absolutely focused on making sure we do so in an efficient manner while continuing to reinvest in the business. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from Jeff Johnson with Baird. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. I will admit I missed most of the prepared comments. Uh, I jumped on right as Matt O'Brien was asking his question, but it was a G7 integration question from Matt. And, and Jake, uh, from your answer, I just wanted to ask one follow-up question, I guess, if I could. Uh, you know, we've started to hear just in the last week or two that maybe uh, there's a you know, maybe newer version of G7 that has to come along to fully integrate with uh, Control IQ. Just if you can clarify what I'm hearing in the field or help me understand what I'm hearing in the field uh, and that that newer version of G7 is only going to be available for the first couple months here in the DME channel and eventually in pharmacy as of January 1. Uh, so what's going on there, and is that anything at all from an investor perspective we need to think about, worry about, uh, you know, impact numbers at all? It doesn't sound like it to me, but just would love the insight there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the question, Jeff. Um, so, yeah, as we continually scale and the G7 platform, we've actually made several enhancements um, to the, the product, both on the software side, but also on the hardware side. And so we actually recently made an update 
to the Bluetooth um, capability on the product, uh, both uh, increasing um, the uh, frequency that it uh, re can reconnect to a device, um, as well as the performance of the Bluetooth um, uh, radio itself. So that uh, product is compatible with the uh, tandem pump and is already uh, shipping uh, globally, uh, both here in the U.S. and internationally, and we don't expect uh, there to be any issue with people being able to upgrade uh, their tandem pumps uh, to uh, the G7 compatibility. Yeah, and Jeff, no margin concerns, no question. This is really par for the course in what we do in terms of iterations over time. A lot of times you don't necessarily hear about it. We went through this with G6, and you'll remember it. Uh, we had a transmitter swap out, which ultimately came through at a lower cost, higher performance. Uh, I would expect more of these types of changes over time, whether it's software and hardware, as we continue to make you know, improvements to the platform over time as part of just continuous improvement. The DME only availability through the end of this year, is that just to control kind of access initially or just anything I'm missing there? No, there's nothing you're missing there. There's product that will be out in all channels. Um, and so really I think what you're hearing is is timing questions about when you burn through things. That's, I think, more anecdotal than anything else. I, everybody's going to be able to have access to this thing in short order. I, I you know, it, it might start through the DME um, just because that's the channel that, you know, you can generally start through. But um, uh, this this product will be available everywhere. Well, and that also accommodates a lot of our tandem pumpers because they get a lot of their supplies through the DME channel too, Jeff. So, yeah, this has been well thought out. Perfect. Thank you. Our next question comes from Travis Steed with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Congrats, everybody, on the on the good quarter. Um, maybe just talk about the buyback, the, the thought process for the buyback, how much of that's related to the convert versus just seeing your stock at an attractive valuation, and is buyback something we should think about you doing more going forward now that you've got your free cash flow at a, at a good level? Yeah, so, you know, we think about the buybacks in, in multiple different ways. Certainly, we want to limit dilution, and that's that's something we always think about as we launch converts. You know, one of the other things we, we do when we launch converts is obviously they come at a lower cash cost. Um, and so when we have the opportunity to take um, the incremental cash that we're making through those and give that back to shareholders, we certainly do so. And then, you know, look, at the end of the day, while it's not for us to comment on share price, that's certainly for others, um, we are highly, 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 uh, bullish on our business over the long term. And so when we see an opportunity to invest in our business, either in the form of investment in capabilities or by purchasing stock back, um, we certainly want to take those opportunities. Whether or not we, we do these all the time, look, it's been two consecutive years we've done that, so it's something we'll certainly always look at. You can tell we're not shy about it, but we'll always take a look at it and make sure that we're opportunistic around it as well as, you know, representing the bullishness we have in our business. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mary Tebow with BTIG. Please go ahead. Great quarter. Thanks for taking the question. I hope you could just expand on uh, the, the comment in the prepared remarks about an even more pronounced um, dynamic of, of complementarity between CGM um, use and the GLP-1s. Um, just curious to get more uh, details on the uh, magnitude of that and, and any thoughts on why that would be even more pronounced with the, the latest generation. Thanks. 
Well, this, Kevin, I'll have Jeremy jump in, too, because he's more familiar with the the underlying data than I am. But the underlying data, as we research this as much as we can, indicates with the new compounds, uh, the physicians are also prescribing CGM for the GLP-1 users. If they add GLP-1 to diabetes therapies, they're already existing. They want to give these patients a scoreboard to let them know how they're doing. And they're seeing very good results from the GLP-1s in combination with other therapies they're on, and then you add a sensor to it, you can see, okay, I've taken this drug, and look how my habits have changed. Look how my average glucose has changed over the course of a week or a month versus where it was before. And so we think we're a vital tool and a very good tool, and the underlying data that we're seeing in prescriptions supports that. Jeremy, if you have anything else to add. No, that's exactly it. And you're asking kind of the why, the reason, Marie. I mean, you know, we we have clinicians tell us all the time, um, to administer drugs as, as potent as these are and, and ultimately to ensure that they are effective both while they're on the drug and while they're coming off the drug and how they ultimately engage going forward. There's a high correlation of interest in CGM, and it, the more and more folks we speak to, they're saying, you know, why, why wouldn't you want to understand what's going on in the body as to how to better understand, one, to titrate the drugs, but then how to change behaviors and get folks off the drugs over the long haul. So you're just seeing more and more of that, and the script data proves it. Very good. Thank you. Our next question comes from William Plovenik from with Canaccord. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Caitlin on for Bill Plavonic, and uh, yeah, congrats on a great quarter. Just maybe to touch on the non-insulin product, I think you uh, mentioned that it was going to come out next summer. Any more color you can provide on the specific product features um, that you haven't talked about before and any updates kind of on the price point or where you are with, with payer conversations? Thank you. Yeah, this is Jake. I'll, I'll take the, the first part about um, the product. So, yeah, we're uh, extremely excited about it. Um, we've already finished the clinical trial um, required for that submission uh, before the end of this year uh, for the product. Uh, it's 15-day meets ICGM uh, criteria, so really, really excited about that. And, you know, the product's all about helping people um, really engage with their health. Um, so it is a different, completely different software experience than what um, our uh, G-Series and Dexcom 1 products are. I'm not going to get into all the specific features yet, but rest assured, our focus is to ensure that people get the benefit uh, of CGM and, and basically helping them connect the dots to the, uh, their lifestyle. Um, and it's really an important tool to help them learn about, you know, matter, no matter what therapy they're on um, and how their metabolic health um, can be improved. Um, and so really excited. Uh, team's just finishing up validations on the product. Um, we're looking forward to launching it next year. Caitlin, hi, it's Terry. Thanks for the question. You know, this product, like all of our products, starts with unique insights into the needs of our customers. So we're really excited to bring a product to the market that is designed specifically for those who are not on insulin. This is a highly motivated group, but who have different needs, different health needs, different lifestyle needs, and different product and feature needs. Uh, versus those who are on insulin. So we've designed the product specifically for that group, understanding what additional medications they might be on, and we are excited to bring this to the market probably in summer of next year is what we're tracking to. And over time, we'll look for reimbursement. Uh, We've talked about this as a cash pay option to start, and and that's how we'll do it. As far as the exact pricing, that that remains to be determined when we launch. We're not going to give that out yet. So... We're excited, as you can tell. 
Our next question comes from Jason Bedford with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, and good afternoon. So two questions that require one-word answers. What's the what's the timeline on basal coverage in France? And then maybe for, for Jeremy, what's the annual revenue contribution from that business that you expect to uh, to sell off in the, in the first half of 24? Yeah, so uh, easy answers. Basil expected uh, 2024 in France. Uh, timing exactly will depend on the government bodies, but we expect it in the first half of 2024. And the approximate contribution from the business being spun off is $30 million annual run rate. Thank you. Our next question comes from Michael Polark with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking the question. In the prepared remark, um, you mentioned you believe you gain share across all reimbursement channels and segments and then added even in non-reimbursed channels. Um, I'm curious. I mean, clearly we know about the innovation work here and, and the product launch and that, that might be the answer. Um, but is there anything commercially you're doing different in the cash pay market today that's influencing that comment? No, uh, we do have a cash pay program right now with G7, but we've not done anything significant. I, I, I'll go back mainly to our coverage. I mean, G7 coverage has come at a, a rate much faster than anything we've done before, not just on the basal side, but also on the intensive insulin side and every place else. So we're widely covered and people find it very easy to get uh, and very easy to pick it up in the channel that they choose to pursue. Uh, and we offer the cash pay program and that there are people taking advantage of it. They like G7, they like the different form factor, the ease of use and the things that we offer. So we have seen a, an increase there, but it's not something we're pushing really hard. Thank you. Our next question comes from Steve Lichtman with Oppenheimer and Company. Please go ahead. Thank you. Congrats, guys. Um, obviously, a lot of focus on basal as expected, uh, but you do, of course, have coverage now for non-insulin hypo at risk, uh, which is a sizable population in its own right. Uh, can you talk about what you're hearing from physicians on the use of CGM there, uh, and are you hearing anything in the field that changes your initial view on how big uh, that opportunity can be in particular? Thanks, Steve. It's Terry. Um, you know, we're only about six months in since, since the implementation of that CMS decision, so it's still an evolving landscape for the problematic hypoglycemia group. But we see a real opportunity to continue to build coverage with the payers, to continue to educate them, and to build education with the HCP community, you know, keeping in mind that this is a population where historically we haven't thought a lot about CGM use and utilization, but the data that we now have that supported the CMS decision that we'll continue to build to bring to the payers is, is really compelling. So we see a tremendous opportunity here and one that's still quite nascent with a lot of upside in the future. Thank you. Our next question comes from Josh Jennings with TV Cowan. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking the questions. I know you have a lot in front of you with type 2 basal and 
the cash pay product being launched next year, but you, you did mention that you're pursuing reimbursement, Kevin, for type 2 and non-insulin-using patients. I was just hoping to better understand the roadmap of the clinical development program, and, and should we, investors be thinking two to three years for that potential reimbursement to come in or, or three to five years? And then just on top of that, just, you know, what's, What's giving you optimism that you can can show a clinically meaningful and statistically significant reduction? Even going when seeing that type two non-insulin using population, I think you had some registry data, and I know you had some registry data at at ADA this year. Um, but any other signals and and drivers of, of your confidence? Thanks. Look, we've done numerous studies, and every time we introduce CGM to this population, we see lower A1C, higher time and range, and all the other vital signs of these patients get better. And so we're confident that we have a positive impact. I'll add a couple of other things that we've heard, you know, in, in my own travels and travels of the group. One of the things everybody's concerned about is adherence to meds. Uh, with CGM, we can, patients can see what happens when they're adherent to their meds and when they take them, be it whichever type 2 therapy they're on. They can see what happens if they take their metformin every morning or their SGLT2 pill or even the effect of their GLP-1 injection every week. They can see what happens. And that adherence to drugs leads to better, you know, better health on an overall basis. And let's be clear, it's not like diabetes growth has slowed down anywhere. Diabetes still continues to grow rapidly, and the cost of diabetes care, as great as all of our technologies been, have been, continues to increase. So, if we can be a cog in that wheel to whereby we add uh, an element of cost that's not not that significant when you look at the grand scheme of things, but can reduce many other costs and can reduce complications that they spend on other things and possibly slow down the train on some of the meds people have to move to, we think we have a great role to play here. And that's how we look at it. I don't think it's going to take five years. I think this is more of a two- to three-year uh, journey. But you know what? That's the gospel according to me. I don't have anything else to base that on, but you'll see data continue to to pile up in this segment, particularly as we launch a cash pay product to start and then get some basic reimbursement from that from others. We're making our case, obviously building a case with CMS like we did for mobile on Basil. That was data produced by Dexcom. We're pretty good at that. So we'll keep pushing. Great. Thanks so much. Our next question comes from Matt Mixick with Barclays. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, and uh, congrats on the quarter, and, and appreciate all the all the color today on the call. Um, just if I could follow up on a comment you made, Kevin, earlier about the uh, number of uh, new prescribers um, post, you know, driven by the G7 launch, and get some color if you could share it around, you know. Is that, uh, is that sort of getting further into the sort of simple, you know, simplicity, simple user segment of the market? Is it, is it linked in any way to the, to the basal coverage? You know, what's your assessment of, of what's been driving that and, and, um, other than G7 just being great, but, uh, and then also maybe the implications for share trends in the U.S. if, if that, uh, if that continues. Thanks. Yeah, hey Matt, this is Jeremy. I can take this. You know, and, and by the way, it's all intentional, right? We have a we have a commercial team that's done an incredible job of identifying areas to go and and, and doctors to really certainly focus on. Um, you know, where we can come in with the product, demonstrate obviously it's the most accurate. Certainly, it's easy to use, and 
with the coverage we have, I think it really demonstrates to the physicians and, and their prescribing patterns, look, we can we have the lowest out-of-pockets for, for these patients, and we can ultimately keep them on therapy and adherence for a much longer period. So I think that, in addition to obviously G7 and all the features it has inherent in it, has allowed these physicians to make the change. But it, it's a so, so wonderful product, wonderful coverage, and absolutely intentionality by the sales team. I mean, just a, a great job by those the, the, that team identifying who those targets are, going out there and addressing it. So it's no coincidence. And that 18,000 incremental, you know, prescribers, um, you know, a significant amount in the PCP space, and a, and a lot of folks are switching. These PCPs are switching from who they prescribe today and moving over to Dexcom. So we're really proud of it, and obviously it was 1,000 in the first quarter, 8,000 in the second quarter, and another 9,000 this quarter. So it is... It, 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 the message is getting out, and it's meaningful. That's great. Thank you for the color. Our next question comes from Mike Kratke with Lee Rink Partners. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, everyone. Thanks for taking our question. Just going back to basal only, what's the latest basal only commercial coverage you have in place, and how are you thinking about both the cadence and what's needed to bridge that gap to get more full coverage? This is Terry. Happy to take that one. You know, we track coverage very closely for Dexcom and for the industry. And Dexcom is the most covered CGM with the lowest out-of-pocket copay. That is true for the overall population in U.S. commercial lives, and it's also true for the basal population. And I would say keep in mind that we were out with the mobile study in front of the payers even before the CMS decision came through. So um, we continue to we'll continue to lead in the coverage for this population. Yeah, and then your question was, is, you know, how, how, how much, what more do we need to go? The answer is, it, it's not more. A lot of commercial payers were already really covering this. You now, you know, Terry referenced, we have the, 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 you know, most wide covered, uh, you know, coverage on basal. It's really now just, it's, it's time. It takes time to get in front of payers, Medicaid payers, government payers. Um, and so it's it, it's just canvassing. And by the way, this is not something that we didn't face with type one. It's not something we didn't face with type two intensive. And so just give us time. Um, but a majority of people walking around with with uh, using basal insulin now have access to CGM technology. It's a wonderful thing for the population. Understood. Thanks very much. This concludes our question and answer session for today. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Kevin Sayer for closing remarks. Thank you. This was truly a banner quarter for us. This was our first quarter with over $200 million in year-over-year -year quarterly growth and a second consecutive quarter of record financial performance and market share gains on all fronts. Our G7 launch remains in its early stages. There's a tremendous amount of momentum left in this launch with our plan uh, upgrades to the system and also our upcoming AID integrations. In addition to continuing to perform in these traditional metrics, our company's growth as a world-class organization on a number of fronts continues to be recognized. Dexcom was recognized by Forbes as one of the top five organizations to work for in the state of California. By the way, three of the top five were universities, so we're one of two companies in that group. We were recognized by Newsweek as one of the 300 top green organizations acknowledging our great work of our teams to advance our sustainability initiatives, and we are considering this very thoroughly in all of our product development efforts going forward. Finally, we've been recognized by Fast Technologies as one of the brands that matters.
great honors for our company. I want to thank everybody here at Dexcom who makes these great things happen, and thank everybody for your continued support. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference. You may now disconnect.